Y'all so quiet right now. I love you so much, real life. Love you too, PJ. I love you. You're awesome. I want to say welcome home to Teen Challenge. We missed you guys last week. They went to a, a spared conference, and I, I pray that God did something powerful in y'all's lives over the last week. And, and uh, we, we just want to say we missed you very much. You bring something special to our ministry, and we're so grateful that you call this your family as well. We love you guys. Can we give it up for our Teen Challenge girls? Come on, y'all. Give it up. They're family. Want to welcome our guests. We've got a saying around here, and we say if it's your first time, you're a guest, but then when you come back, you're family. And uh, so we want to say welcome to all of our guests. Thank you for choosing to come with us. My name is Pastor Jonathan, and uh, you saw my wife Jubilee a little earlier with, with Libby, and we would love to get to know you. If we don't have a personal relationship with you guys, we would love to get to know you and uh, pour into your life. We love you guys, and uh, we love this family. We love this community. And aren't you glad to be a part of the family of God at Real Life? Come on, aren't you glad? Praise God. Who's ready for God's word tonight? Hallelujah. Let's get right into it. Y'all ready? Praise the Lord. All right. With every heart bowed and every head bowed and every heart closed. No, no, every heart open. Sorry, I'm, I'm botching it for a second. But God, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your anointing. God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear from your word tonight. God, I pray that you would remove any hindrance. God, remove any distraction, remove any stress, pressure, or anxiety that would try to steal our attention from your word tonight. This is a holy moment where we're coming into your presence and we're saying, God, whatever you want to change in our lives, change it. And God, we're asking, I know many of us came in the room tonight and we came hungry. We came needing something. We, we came desiring to not just go through emotion, but we came to encounter your presence. So God, I pray that every person that can hear my voice would walk away from this moment fulfilled because they've heard from you tonight. We ask this in your name, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, real life last week was so awesome. I loved every second of it. And we are now in week two of our church-wide series that we are calling For the Valley. And in week one, through the help of the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and just a shameless plug, if you missed last week, um, we do have a, a podcast. Look us up on iTunes, and uh, you can catch up if you miss a sermon, and uh, feel free to check that out. But last week, we looked at the Good Samaritan, and God brought feeling back to many of us. Amen? Come on, y'all. Y'all with me tonight. Amen? God brought some feeling back to us, helping us realize that we should feel something when we see the needs that surround our lives. We should feel something. It should do something to us emotionally when we see things happening around us. And at Real Life Student Ministries, we want to be known as a ministry that is going to do our best to meet needs. I'm so proud of people like Libby Paul and, and many others in this room that have a desire to not just see a need, to, but, but to actually do something about it. Amen? And God called us last week not to just see it and pass by on the other side, but to do something. Amen? And uh, feeling is a great first step. But I believe tonight that God wants you and I to have compassion. 
Jesus is looking for individuals who will be the solution to the problems in our world. So God, tonight, the whole theme is, is compassion. He's calling us to have compassion. It's another level, and compassion is defined as this. It's defined as a deep feeling, so there is feeling in it, of sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. But here's the catch. It's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. So compassion is feeling with the willingness to act or do something about the need. It's powerful. If God is going to use us to be for the valley, to make a deep and lasting impact on the world around us, if we are to become known by what we are for to a greater extent than what we're against as believers, if we're going to become more and more like Jesus every single day and less like a self-serving religion, then we must walk in compassion real life. That's got to be something that is a part of our DNA, is compassion. It should drive us. See, great stories are fueled by compassion. Some of, the, some of my favorite movies, some of the favorite parts are fueled. Man, it just catches our attention when there's compassion oozing out of it. Man, um, one of the coolest miracles that Jesus ever did is feeding a crowd of over 5,000 people. And everybody loves food. How many of y'all like to eat? Praise the Lord. Somebody hungry in the house tonight? Anybody? I'm hungry. I haven't had dinner yet, so I'm ready to talk about some food. Y'all like soul food? My favorite is fried chicken. Come on, y'all. Oh, y'all like some Red Lobster? One of my all-time favorite restaurants is the Olive Garden. How many of y'all like the Olive Garden? Man, you get that all-you-can-eat salad with the extra dressing. And my wife, she asks for a little bowl of extra pepperoncinis because she eats those things whole. She's got fire in her breath, but she is fine, so it's okay. Um, but, but I love me some Olive Garden because you get that all-you-can-eat breadsticks. How many of y'all love the breadsticks with all the salt and butter all over them? It makes the napkin all greasy. Can I get a praise the Lord for some Olive Garden? Oh, but how about my favorite meal? It's stuffed chicken marsala. Man, it's got that gravy with, with that garlic, that, that garlic mashed potatoes and the mushrooms. And you just get you a scoop of those potatoes and you dip it in that yummy gravy. And you just stick it all in your mouth and everybody's mouth is watering right now. Praise Jesus. Everybody loves to eat. Can I get it? Oh, look at this. We got some. Whoo. That's awesome. I can't eat that right now. I, get behind me, Satan. I'm trying to keep my figure. Don't give me no cinnamon sticks. I need some chicken. But everybody likes to eat. Amen. Uh, shameless, shameless plug. Y'all come to tribes and we will feed you. Praise Jesus. There will be free food at tribes. Y'all come to my house and we're having a house party and there will be food. So if you're in 10th and 11th grade, you are in my tribe and praise God, I will feed you if you come this Sunday night at 7 p.m. So get involved in tribes. Shameless plug. But Jesus understood the value of food because he chose this miracle of feeding over 5,000 people, and it's described in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
and some of the Gospels give unique details that help us find the importance of the compassion Jesus expressed by feeding 5,000 people. And here's, here's the context of the story that I'm, I'm going to share with you guys tonight. The context is kind of crazy because the context of the miracle as communicated by Matthew and Mark is that Jesus had just found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Jesus had just found out that one of his closest companions and friends that he grew up with had been beheaded. And this is important for a lot of reasons. See, Jesus and John the Baptist were born at almost the same time. The scripture says that when Elizabeth, John's mom, came close to Mary while they were both pregnant with the two children, when, when Elizabeth came close to Mary, it says that John the Baptist literally leaped in Elizabeth's womb because they had a spiritual connection, Jesus and John the Baptist. That's how tight they were. Even before they were born, they were tight. And, and, and this is the thing. Jesus literally asked John the Baptist to baptize him before Jesus started his public ministry. It was a huge honor where John said, you know, I don't even deserve to walk in the same shoes. You should be baptizing me. But Jesus gave him that honor. Man, that's how tight they were. And to hear the news that John was dead was absolutely devastating news to Jesus. It was heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. And I share this to help us understand that Jesus shows us the best way to get out of our valley is to care about someone else's valley. The best way to get out of our valley, because I believe someone in the room came in discouraged. Someone in the room came in with bad news that was given to them. Someone came into the room with a broken heart. But the best way to get out of your valley is to start caring about someone else's valley. Have you ever been given devastating news before? I have. Man, I remember what it, what it feels like. I'm talking about news that makes you want to give up and stop trying. It just makes you want to throw in the towel. Man, I remember the day that my coach pulled me into his office. It was the beginning of my senior year, and my coach pulled me into his office. He said, Jonathan, you're a knucklehead. I'm like, what are you talking about, coach? He's like, you failed two classes the end of your junior year. You're ineligible to play your entire first semester of our senior year. Of, and I was, basketball is life, y'all. It broke my heart. I was devastated. I was, I was walking around just down in the dumps. You know how you, you do it every day. You're like, and everybody, you, you let everybody know your day is wrecked. I remember how terrible that feeling felt. I remember watching the news, and, and this was just a couple days ago, the anniversary of, of the terrible terroristic attack on our country in New York City. And I remember the day that I was working at the YMCA, and I watched as the second plane hit the tower live. And I remember the feeling, the, the insecurity that swept across the entire building of people and in that moment, it was like devastation. No one felt safe. No one felt secure. No one knew what was going to happen next. And, and there's these moments in our lives where you feel that way, where you don't know what's going to happen next, and you're not sure, and it's not comfortable. And I believe that's what Jesus was feeling when he heard this type of news. See, I remember when one of my mentors, he was actually my youth pastor when I was in high school. And after high school, I, I told him, man, I'm going in this direction. God has called me to be trained in the ministry. And I, he was a Baptist minister, and I was his resident Pentecostal because I believe the power of God is real. 
And I explained to him, man, I'm going to this school of ministry. And he told me, man, that's a Pentecostal circle. And it's dangerous. Stay away from those people. And he said, if you go that direction, then I'm basically going to disown you as my spiritual son. And that was one of the hardest conversations I had to have because I gave four years of my life of love and dedication and devotion. And this man was a spiritual father to me. And I remember how devastated I felt when he turned his back on me as his spiritual son. It hurts. And I'll never forget the day that Jubilee and I went in to get a sonogram of our first child and, and with, with Jubilee's mom, and we sat down, and the nurse comes in and does her little, man, gets her belly all greased up with that jelly stuff. And we're all excited because Jubilee's got that little baby bump, and we're like, we're going to see our first child for the first time. And I'll never forget the moment where the ultrasound technician gets this look on her face. And I recognize that look, that something was wrong. And she said, I'll be right back. And then the doctor comes in and shows us that this fetus was lifeless and the heartbeat was non-existent and that our first child was stillborn. Not even, not even alive after the second trimester. And our hearts, our hearts were broken. There's times where I think about that memory and I still fight back tears because it still hurts to this day. And I imagine that's the context of what Jesus is feeling because he feels the heartache, the dis devastation of John is dead. And it's in these moments of discouragement, some of us are in that, that valley tonight. It's in these moments of discouragement. I've held on to these powerful verses, and somebody in this room needs to get a hold of them tonight. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says that when I am weak, Christ reveals himself to be strong in me. So if you're in this room tonight and you're in that discouraging time, you're feeling it. Man, some news, some tragic situation is happening in your life. You need to recognize that when you are weak, God can reveal himself to be strong in you. And then the Psalms 51, 17, I don't know if you need to be encouraged, but it says in my Bible, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, God will never deny. So guess what? If you're brokenhearted in the house tonight, man, you are in a perfect position to receive your miracle because God said in his word, it promises, man, if you've got a broken heart, he's not going to deny you. It even goes further and says if you're brokenhearted, he's going to be close to you. I'm believing for that miracle to happen tonight because I know there's some people that have walked in these doors that have gotten similar devastating news. And all of this should help us realize that God can use you and I to do miracles even if things are not perfect in our lives. God can use us to do miracles even if things aren't going exactly the way we want them to go. I'm no psychologist, but I've had enough life experience and I've had enough counseling of my own because praise God I needed it. To know that a great way to get over your own personal problems is to focus on help, helping someone else's problems. A great way to get over your own needs is to help someone else with their needs. It's a healthy thing to get your mind and your focus off of yourself and onto others when you're going through a difficult time. And Jesus is emotionally weak because someone he loves was just brutally killed, but he allows the power of God to be strong in him because he has compassion for others. 
And Jesus is trying to teach us in his experience tonight that the pain in our lives should compel us to be more sensitive to the pain we see in others. Man, the pain that that we deal with, the hurt that we're going through currently should compel us to actually see the pain that others are going through. If you and I are hurting, that means others are hurting. And this is how the scripture describes the miracle. I'm going to read it to us. It'll be on the screen. In John chapter 6, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw signs and wonders that he had performed by healing the sick. And Matthew 14, 14 describes it like this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and began to heal their sick. He began to feel their needs, and then he began to do something about it. That's what compassion is. And in John chapter 6, verse 5, it goes on and it says, Then Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. The crowd was growing. And so he said to his disciple Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Because y'all know we hungry. We got to eat. And he asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Man, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have only a bite. And so Jesus, here's the scenario. Let me just break it down for us tonight. This is what happens. Jesus arrives. People find out. And so they come because Jesus has a reputation for healing the sick, meeting the needs of the people. And, and, and so he's known for compassion. And so the second thing that happens, he arrives, a crowd comes, and he begins to heal. It says very clearly, I read it to you, he was drawn and compelled by compassion and began to heal the people in the crowd. And so what happens when that takes place? People get word, Jesus is healing people. Jesus, miracles are happening. Oh, so the crowd begins to grow. And then what happens is Jesus began to teach the people. And then, long story short, it got late, so it's time to eat. Praise the Lord. And a lot of us may be frustrated because I think some of us in this room, we get frustrated because some of us, you've been Christians, you've been a part of real life for a long time, and and you've tried to do what's right. You've tried to have a good influence on your friends. You've tried to make an impact at your school. You've tried to influence your family a specific way to lead them to Christ the best as you can, and nothing's happened. And sometimes it can get frustrating trying to act with compassion. And a lot of us can be frustrated because with good intentions, we invite people to come to church with us and they never come, right? You ever experienced that before? I've invited some people and they straight up reject me. And, or maybe you try to share your faith with someone. You try to communicate how Jesus has transformed and changed your life. You once were lost, but now you're found. Praise God. You try to explain the hell that you lived in, but now God has rescued you from it. And have you ever had people say they're not even interested in hearing, I don't care. Don't tell me. I don't need to hear that Jesus stuff. It can get frustrating, right? And if that's you tonight, please let this story inspire you. Meeting the needs of others creates an opportunity for them to want to hear the truth. Because Jesus, he was led with compassion. He began to meet their needs first, and then he began to teach. So if we begin to see the need and meet the needs of others, man, then they'll probably want to hear what we've got to say real life. That's where somebody should say amen. 
there's a, there's a very powerful quote. It says, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's something we as real life, you don't do that until you have compassion for people. You don't show them how much you care until you really do care about them. And we've, we've got to be Jesus with skin on real life. We've got to get in the middle of people's mess before they will want to hear our message. We've got to meet their needs. And Jesus, he saw this large crowd, and he saw that the problem was that it was past time to eat. The people were hungry. And he was probably feeling hungry himself. And Jesus had compassion on them. The bigger the crowd grew, the more compassion he had to do something about it. And, and here's the deal. We, we learned during the offering time that there are hundreds of homeless teenagers in Muskogee County. It's a big problem. There are millions trapped in human trafficking across the globe. That's an even bigger problem. And a lot of times, most of us, we see a big problem and we think, there is no way I can make an impact on that. Man, the, the party scene is so strong. There is such a stronghold at my school. There is no way that I can break through and make a difference in that because, man, it is just overwhelmingly strong. Man, I don't even have a job, Pastor Jonathan, so what can I do? What can I do to help homeless people? My, my, have you seen my home? Because I could probably be classified as homeless if you saw my home. Some of us have those problems. But can I tell you that big problems, even though they tend, they tend to defeat us and they tend to cause us to give up before we even try. But real life, I believe that Jesus wants us to realize this. We've got to stop allowing the size of an obstacle to prevent us from taking action to make a difference. We've got to stop allowing the size of an obstacle to prevent us from taking action. I'm here to remind somebody in the house that nothing is too big for God. Jesus said, those who believe, nothing is impossible for them. In fact, the bigger the problem, the more glory God's going to get for the solution. And Jesus knew there was a big need for the large crowd to eat, and he asked Philip, hey, where can we get some bread to eat? Where can we get a basket of Olive Garden breadsticks? Can I get an amen? And the first truth I want you to see in this story is that sometimes problems are attacks in life. But sometimes problems are a test to see how we're going to respond. You know, the, the enemy attacks us, sure. But sometimes the problems that we have in life are actually a test. Jesus and the Holy Spirit is allowing us to encounter certain things in this life to see what we're going to do with it. Jesus knows what he wants to do in the world around us. And it says specifically, he asks Philip, what are we going to do? because he knew what was going to take place. I've come to testify. God's word says that it's God's will that none should perish. He doesn't want anyone to pass away. He wants everyone to have eternal life. He wants poverty to end. He wants sexual impurity to stop at your school. He wants the drug abuse to be put to an end at your school. He wants the party scene to be changed into a Jesus party at real life. Can I get a hallelujah? He wants the strongholds at your schools and your families to be broken in the name of Jesus. He knows what he wants to happen, but he's waiting to see how we're going to respond. He's looking for young men and young women who are willing and ready to be filled with enough compassion to do something about the problem, no matter how big it is. And Jesus was testing Philip in this moment, and I think Jesus tests you and I on a regular basis. 
Jesus knew the miracle was about to take place. He loved the people that had gathered too much to allow them to leave lacking anything. But he also wanted his disciples to be the miracle. Philip did what most of us do, unfortunately. When confronted with a problem, Philip makes an excuse. And tonight, I've come to tell us that excuses never change the world, real life. Excuses never change the world. Jesus was trying to tap into Philip's potential, but I've come to tell somebody potential never changed the world, real life. You've got every single person in this room has an amazing amount of potential, but it doesn't do anything to have potential without compassion to act. And Philip says, man, it'd take over 200 denarii, more than half a year's wages, to give only an unsatisfying bite to these people. We should send them all home. And almost as if, like the priest and the Levite walked by on the other side, Jesus said, no, we can't do this. I can't stop the parties, God. I can't stop my own addiction. I can't prevent my parents from divorcing. We see the problems. We see the difficulty. We see the struggle. And it seems so large and so big and out of control. But we don't do anything about it. Real life, Philip should help us realize that when things get difficult, when times get hard, when we get emotionally stretched by the difficulties of life, we place way too much focus on what we do not have or what we cannot do. We place way too much emphasis on what we don't have or what we cannot do. We've got to start looking at what we can do. I'm here to encourage someone to stop looking at your limitations and start looking to your limitless God. If he can take your sins and remove them, listen to this. This makes no sense that he can take your sins and remove them from you and transfer you from the dominion of darkness and place you in the kingdom of light in an instant just because of your faith. And I think if you're momentary, I think if he can do that, your momentary problem is small in comparison. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on Calvary's cross, went to Hades, and stole the keys to death, hell, and the grave from the enemy of our soul, and rose again on the third day, and bought our salvation by Calvary's cross. If he can do that, he can change our circumstance. It's just whether or not we're going to trust him and believe him for it. Philip was a firsthand miracle witness. Man, he witnessed Jesus, the story said, Jesus landed. He saw the need. He began to heal people. So Jesus healed the sick and began to teach people until it got late. And this means that Philip probably saw blind eyes open up. He probably saw incurable sicknesses healed on the, in that moment. He probably saw crippled people made whole. Mental illnesses and demonic activities rebuked by the power of Jesus' name. And after seeing all of this, he should have had the mindset of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But but Philip shows us the reality that too many Christians are comfortable with witnessing the miraculous while doubting they can participate in being a miracle. Too many of us are okay with just being a witness to the miracle, but we doubt that God will use us to actually become a miracle for someone. Jesus doesn't want us to simply see miracles. He wants us to participate in the miraculous. For us, the bigger the problems become, the easier the excuses come. But in this situation, the larger the crowd grew, the larger Jesus' compassion grew. 
So with this, I want to invite the band to come. I want you to stand to your feet. As I close, I invite the leaders to come. Jesus was moved with compassion. He was hurting. I want you to remember that. Jesus was hurting. But he didn't allow the pain of his life to stop him from becoming the miracle of life. So tonight, I'm going to finish the rest of this story. And it's awesome. And here's the thing I want us to realize, and I want you to realize this very clearly, and it's not to, to say anyone in this room is disqualified. It's not to say that anyone in this room is not capable of doing the miraculous through the power of Jesus. But I want you to realize as I read this story, man, Philip said, you know, we can't do this. Why don't we send them away? And if you don't choose to become a miracle, if you don't choose to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit of God, man, God will choose someone else. And so the story concludes like this in verse 8. It says, another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Man, he, he stepped up to the plate. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. The man had some fish sticks and a basket of Olive Garden breadsticks. How far will they go with so many? And Jesus said, we have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves. And remember, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, God will not deny. And Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks, lifting it up to God. And he gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And they, had all, they all had enough to eat. And he said to his disciples, go gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five bar barley loaves, the olive, olive garden breadsticks, and the two fish sticks. And they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of what all those had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Tonight, real life, you may not have much to offer. You may be brokenhearted. You may be in a situation in life where you've got some tough situations you're facing. But I come tonight to say God can use what you have to make a big difference. All this boy had was five loaves and two pieces of fish. But this is the deal. He gave it all. He gave everything that he had to Jesus. He had some fish sticks and Olive Garden breadsticks. But he didn't have much to offer, but he gave all that he had. And if you give God what is in your hands with compassion in your heart, he'll use you to do miracles. I know that to be true.